Welcome to Footy Time, the Grand Final Review Edition. It is the 26th of September 2022 and that means the season is over and Daniel Andrews, it was a great season, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Johnny. Another premiere is in the books and uh, Geelong have done uh, what people thought they wouldn't be able to do for a long time, but they've finally got over the line and won one of these. Yeah, with the... <laughs> I guess with the end of the footy season, it's about another five months till we get another one. Uh, but there is life outside of footy, I guess. Um, what What's your main go-to for filling the void, Dan, from now until the next season? You're a bit of a cricket fan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I get into the cricket. I'm not into it as much as I used to be. But yeah, there's definitely a bit of a void outside of footy season. I actually quite like watching sort of old classic games every now and then. Obviously, not that regularly, but yeah. It's a bit of fun to go back and uh, cherry pick some of the better games. What about you? Yeah, it is a good time to catch up on some of those good games that happen, some of those memorable ones. Uh, I'm sure at some point I'll probably throw in that Cozzy winning goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I, I'm pretty into my footy codes, like namely NFL and English Premier League soccer. Not a massive cricket fan, as you know, but I'll probably be there on Boxing Day for a few beverages, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's probably a good time to, yeah, catch up on some things and maybe even pay a bit more attention to things that got neglected to, during footy season. Yeah, well, I guess it's good. It only goes to part of the year, really. It makes the part of the year that it is on sort of that bit more meaningful and it sort of, yeah, signals the changing of the seasons, right? So that was the winter and now we're moving into the warmer months. Hopefully it'll, it'll still be pretty freezing in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll take a while to get to, get that up to where we'd want it to be for summer, I guess. But the other thing, Dan, we had a grand final on the weekend, and that's what we're here for. Um, yeah, I'll let you go straight into some of the highlights that uh, occurred in this game. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, go to the pregame first because, yep. um, yeah, so I was sitting there, bottom of the level of the MCG. looked like a beautiful sunny day. It would have been nicer to be on the other side, actually. It was just a really yeah. cool, southerly wind, uh, making it pretty cold. It's actually the coldest grand final I can remember. So, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> a little bit. It looked sunny, but it yeah. probably didn't feel that way. Yeah. I guess the members stand is always in the shade, but, yeah, I don't know. It was just that little bit of a southerly wind keeping it really uh, down. And uh, right. But, yeah, a couple of other observations from... Uh, before the game started, uh, pre-match entertainment out in the middle of the ground was a good success. Often they would yep. just sort of put the performers over on the side near the uh, Ponsford stand end, and yeah, it's a bit anticlimactic, but it was good to see Robbie Williams out there in the middle, and uh, everyone seemed to be getting into it. Yeah, it looked really good on TV. So that was good. Obviously, uh, Max Holmes was out of the selected side. Uh, I still was thinking Geelong in a close one. It really felt like their time would come, but uh, yeah, maybe that was just me wishing for a good game. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yep. But in terms of uh, the visual, the stands were absolutely packed to the rafters. They'd done that checkerboard pattern where the different bays had the different supporters, so you could really see the uh, white and blue against like sort of the red of the Sydney Swans, so that looked pretty cool as well. Yeah, really obvious on TV. That I thought it looked awesome. What were you up to uh, pre-grand final, Johnny? Yeah, so went to the old favourite uh, Harpaviran Hotel in Q East. Uh, yeah, with some of the small friends, we used to do this. Yeah, uh, maybe I guess for six or seven years running until up until COVID. So oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, had Melbourne been in the grand final, it might have been a different story. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we were there, and uh, 
Yeah, no, it, was, it was a good day. All right, let's jump straight into it. So it was actually pretty tight early on until Hawkins pulled two goals out of thin air, beating Tom Hickey all ends up into inside 50 stoppages. Uh, and uh, it wasn't even close, completely outbodying him. He was completely out of the contest. Hawkins just grabs onto the ball and goals. And I think that really set the tone early in this game. How'd you see this little bit of play here, Johnny? Yeah, it was funny. I mean, because, <laughs> you know, grand finals always start kind of scrappy and just high pressure. Not a lot of execution, I guess. But um, I-, I was a little surprised that the first goal came from Hawkins, I guess, off a roving play. But <laughs> after seeing the highlights, this is actually something that Hawkins does a fair bit. <laughs> he does sort of body out and take it out of the ruck and get a quick disposal. You wouldn't expect him to be able to do it against like a seasoned ruckman as much. No. Often the guys he's doing this to, sort of the second ruck, or even if it is like the first ruck, he's only sort of like half bodying them out. Whereas these ones, like, Hickey was just beaten all ends up. I don't know whether he just yeah. wasn't on it. Like, he got well beaten on the day. But, yeah, yeah just really – I guess you would have thought that would be, like, an area of strength maybe, the ruck, but uh, that's not how it turned out on this day. No, it wasn't. And, um, it was yeah, it was just one area that, uh, look, if Hawkins was going to win it out, you just needed to not let him get it on the boot. And, unfortunately, they did twice. So, yeah, it set the tone. So the Swans did manage to get one back not long after these two stoppage goals to Geelong. But, uh, yeah, Geelong just put the foot on the throat here, went into complete beast mode with two centre bounce goals. And, yeah, you think you thought the Swans might be able to get something going towards the end of the quarter, but it wasn't to be with two more running goals to Isaac Smith. And uh, from about the 10-minute mark of the quarter, Sydney just couldn't get their hands on the ball. They were completely ineffective. And... Uh, Looked, had a bit of a quick look at the stats at quarter time and about half their team had had two or less possessions. It was uh, pretty damning, getting absolutely smashed in uh, the inside 50s possession and contested possession. And, of course, Geelong were looking uh, like an amazing team. Why wouldn't you when the opposition couldn't even get the ball, basically? Yeah, so I guess that led me to a question, Johnny. Uh, you know, were Geelong that good in this first quarter or was Sydney just completely off the pace? Hmm. Yeah, I think that Geelong handled the occasion a lot better. Uh, yeah, as we've mentioned before, the first five to ten minutes of a grand final, I mean, it's a bit of a scrap out. It's There's a lot of nerves that need to be settled, and there's just not many, well, there's not many easy possessions, but there's not many quality possessions either. So I just find um, it's the team that gets the most pressure and surges the ball forward and gets it into the right areas maybe gets those opportunist goals. I mean, you know, you usually see goals from stoppage to start a grand final, I find. Um, and that's what they got. Uh, and, yeah, look, Sydney had their chance to respond, but uh, the Geelong just brought so much pressure early on that Sydney couldn't string a bunch of possessions together. Yeah, they definitely looked off the pace, and I don't think they settled until the second quarter. They just completely... Uh at sea with what they were trying to do. And obviously, you know, Geelong had a fair bit to do with that, but you do wonder whether they were completely ready for this experience, whether it was, you know, just a bit of fatigue or just not being ready for, you know, the heat of a grand final or I don't know what it would have been, but it just didn't look like uh, the team we'd seen in previous weeks. No, it didn't. It 
they were way off it, and they they looked overawed by the by the occasion, which is strange because you know it's a John Longmire coach team, and they've you know they're a younger side, but they still got some some good season players in that side. It was just very strange. They were, they got jumped a bit, and yes, they were behind the eight ball. It does seem to happen in grand finals, maybe more regularly than other games, where the consequences of not settling or just not being sort of on your game gets shown up so much more. I guess, you know, you're playing against a very good opposition for one, but it almost seems like the nervousness of like a grand final can almost mean that, you know, if you don't get going at the start, then uh, it can be pretty hard to actually make anything happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you sort of get, um, yeah, you just get stuck into that hole and it's it's difficult to dig out of. Yeah, it seems harder than in a normal game. And like we mm. have seen some blowouts in, you know, the last 10 years. But, uh, yeah, I suppose at least in the first half, it still stayed relatively close. Like Sydney did seem to stabilise a little bit in the second. But, yeah, I suppose most people were thinking that, you know, Sydney would be a worthy challenger for Geelong. And I guess they looked anything but really in this first yeah. half, uh, first quarter in particular. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to the second quarter now. So Geelong kept going along their merry way and uh, finding plenty of uh, opportunities to chain out of uh, the stoppage situations there and linking out well. And it felt like it took until about the 13-minute mark for Sydney to finally start finding some semblance of their game. They stopped going long down the line and started to try and run it off halfback. And it did work a couple of times. They got a couple of good goals from link-up plays, but still they were getting beaten soundly around the contest and uh, we were making hard work of it every time it was in a stoppage situation. And uh, really, it was uh, every time Sydney did manage to get a goal in the quarter, it was quickly answered by Geelong. And though the margin at halftime still was in in the realms of being somewhat manageable, uh, it was uh, a 36-point lead. So, yeah... At the ground, I guess I sort of felt like the game was still live, as alive as a game can be, where it seems like you know one team just isn't quite all there. But did see a few semblances of the Sydney game coming uh, up in that quarter, which was something at least. So yeah, how did you see the state of the game after a couple of quarters here, Johnny? Yeah, the Swans did try to claw back a bit, and it's obviously seemed like everything was coming from hard work, but. Yeah, I kind of felt like if they could have gotten within five goals, then maybe that would have been not a win for them, but it would have, yeah, sort of made a bit more inroads and given them a, some kind of chance in that second half. But yeah, it it was still very clear that Geelong were on top, and yeah, maybe the margin was slightly flattering. Yeah, just it was one of those ones where it felt like Sydney. We're almost getting going. Almost getting going. Almost. If they could have, if they could have got like two or three goals in a row, then maybe the second half might have been slight, a slightly different story. They might yeah. have had a better chance. Although we'll talk about some of the other mitigating factors in that half as we get there. But yeah, it just seemed like Geelong had all the answers. Although Sydney seemed to click into gear somewhat, they just couldn't uh, string any goals together. And I guess that was decisive, maybe, in what happens next. Yep. So what does happen next? Let's go to the third quarter. 
Uh, Sydney were greeted by an absolutely ruthless Geelong in the third quarter. So needing a very good start to the third quarter, they quickly gave up three goals to put the game more or less out of reach. And uh, it actually ended up being a a goalless uh, quarter for the Swans. They only made a single point. And in that time, Geelong slammed on six goals three. Geelong was seemingly uh, harder at the ball at every turn able to chain away from the contests at will. And if Sydney did miraculously win a ball at the stoppage, more often than not, the Geelong pressure was turning the ball over. And uh, the effectiveness of their forward line, led by Stengel and Hawkins, was making sure it went on the scoreboard. So, Johnny, when was this game over? When was the fat lady singing? When Buddy had that chance within 30 seconds, I think it was 30 seconds of the second half and missed it. And then I'm pretty sure Geelong went down the other end and scored. I think yeah. that's when it was over for me, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was comprehensively beaten by Henry, wasn't he? And uh, had a bit of a mare against uh, May in the first final as well. So yeah. what, do you, what do you put these sort of things down to? Are, are some people just really well suited to match up on Buddy or is he just not as hard a match up as maybe he was, you know, three or four years ago? I think that... I think these two are definitely suited for him. Um, you know, sort of that athletic, reaching fullback, I guess. But um, I've got my thoughts with Buddy, to be honest. I'm not quite sure if giving him a one-year deal was the best possible thing. But uh, he obviously can give you some kind of value. But I do think he's slowing down. Yeah, it wasn't a good final series. You know, are they possibly taking the place of a, you know, a Logan McDonald or a you know, someone who can be developing in that position i'm not sure i'm not sure but uh yeah he's definitely not the nightmare matchup that he once was mm. so in terms of getting sydney to the next level where you know they have a really i guess slightly more dangerous forward line uh you know both franklin and reed are you know very much towards the end of their careers like is there a situation here where you know once these guys aren't around, that Sydney actually has to go backwards because their scoring power is just diminished? I think there could be a potential for that because, yeah, Sam Reed's shown to be a real crucial part of their setup this year. And yeah, he's about the same. He's a couple of years younger than Franklin, isn't he? But, um, very injury prone. Yeah, he's just yeah, very injury prone. And, yeah, I think we love Sydney's small forwards, but they need someone to be that focal point for the next five years, I'd say. And, it, mm. yeah, these these guys aren't in their future. No one's actually saying that, though. But Yeah, not- well, every time everyone talks about how, you know, promising Sydney are for the next few years, and they probably are, but, you know, the forward line is ageing out a bit. Even Papley isn't – well, I guess Papley's still relatively young. But, yeah, the forward line is ageing out and the replacements aren't obvious, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, like they're not you – know, second or third years, any of them, really. No, absolutely not. So, uh, yeah, it was a 74-point lead to Geelong at the end of that quarter. And uh, interestingly, almost all the damage on the scoreboard was done in the first and third quarters. Coincidence, Johnny? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the way these play out sometimes. They just really came out firing in that third quarter. They knew exactly what they had to do. And they just got it done, really. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's a coincidence, but yeah, they. Well, I guess just super with that thirty-six point margin, they would have known that 
you know, two or three more goals, then the game is basically dead. So they, yeah. could, they could basically win it in, you know, five or ten minutes. And I suppose that's sort of what happened. Yep, that's Sid- exactly it. Sydney didn't put up a whole lot of resistance. No, they went for the throat. Quarter four, party time for the Cats. So I've just got a couple of notes here on some of the notable goals because uh, that was really all that was on offer here. The uh, Sting had gone out of the game, more or less. Uh, so uh, De Koning going from the square for, I think, his first ever goal in AFL and yep. uh, he was actually marking a danger field kick that uh, would have gone through. So Paddy might not have been overly happy about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Uh, we also had uh, Selwood getting a check side through from 45 out after a nice run of play from DeLong along the members' wing. That's a beauty. Uh, we also had Dangerfield marking about 45 and handing out to an arcing Jeremy Cameron to get one through from distance on the left. Yep. All good and, goals. And it all added up to an 81-point win. Ruthless Cats, and uh, it seemed like they were determined to never let this opportunity slip. The time had come. So uh, when uh, they are doing the presentation and everything, it was uh, Isaac Smith who was named as the Norm Smith medalist for 2022. How did you see this one, Johnny? Was it uh, cut and dry in your eyes or was there someone who was a close second or maybe even potential uh, switch out for Smith here? Uh, Look, I really like Isaac Smith as the Norm Smith. I think, yeah, he's... His goals early on were very damaging, and he had some great, great other touches that were, yeah, they had no matchup for him. They, they, I think they rotated about three guys for him. They had, uh, they started off with uh, maybe was it Robottom, and then they went with McInerney, and I think Mills might have had a shot at one point. They just had nothing, no answer for Isaac Smith, and yeah, he ended up with three goals. I was, I was happy with that decision, but uh, I know a lot of people made a good case for danger. And Danger had a fantastic game. I think I would have liked to have seen what would happen if uh, De Koning didn't take that goal from him. <laughs> might have been a much harder choice. But, uh, yeah, no, I was happy with it. What, what did you think? Yeah, I felt like Smith was probably the game breaker. In a game like this, I would put a premium on the first two and a half quarters. And I think yep. that was where Smith had more of his impact. So I'm happy with that decision. Dangerfield accumulated throughout the day, had some great clearances and uh, set up plenty of goals as well. So I think either would have been a worthy winner, but I'm happy with Smith with those two goals in uh, the first quarter in particular that were sort of uh, got Geelong rolling. And, uh, yeah, I think he had something crazy like 772 uh, metres right. gained. So. I was actually just about to say that. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. And uh, 14 score involvement. So you'd be pretty stiff if you missed out with this set of numbers here. Yeah, I don't think there's any any arguments there. Uh, another notable set of numbers that I came across was uh, what happened with the clearances. So uh, Geelong actually uh, only lost possession from one of their 33 clearances. I'm not exactly sure where they're calculating this from, like how many possessions after the chain, but essentially they're getting out from their clearances. So only once was Sydney able to turn it over, once Geelong actually got the ball, which is kind of alarming in itself, but I think this is probably worst. Yeah. Uh, worse, the Swans actually lost possession from 17 out of their 37 clearances. So Geelong were just monstering them. And uh, that correlated also to a 65 to 15 uh, score differential from clearance. So they've got absolutely uh, taken apart in the clearance, which is obviously where, you know, the uh, 
the hard edge and, uh, you know, being up for the contest is going to have the most impact. And I think that set of numbers there, if you didn't look at anything else, it was a clear indication that Sydney just weren't all there in this game, unfortunately. Yeah, you're not going to win too many games with those numbers, <laughs> are you? If you're on the wrong side of it. No. Uh, it doesn't matter what game it is. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's. I didn't know there was that much, actually. Yeah, well, and like with a game like this, it's always hard to tell like how much of it was Geelong, how much of it was Sydney. And I suppose it's usually a bit of both when when it's this big a discrepancy. But yeah, I think it did have the feeling like Geelong were going to win no matter what, but you would have expected for Sydney to give a better account of themselves. And I think those numbers demonstrate that they just didn't give themselves a chance. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Well, some very interesting points there then. And we've got a few more questions about this grand final and also about the teams in general. So the first one is what was the genesis of the 2022 flag for the Cats? Interesting. I think probably the obvious answer is how poorly 2021 ended for them, uh, yep. getting absolutely smashed by Melbourne in that prelim where their uh, game style of control was just completely exposed. They couldn't really get it going at all. And uh, I think that was just the final nail in what was a pretty uh, big coffin with a lot of nails in it at that point. Mm. But uh, I just think that was the straw that broke the camel's back and they just couldn't row it back again, especially with the players who, you know, were all aging out in a way, even though you wouldn't know it looking at the way the teams performed. But if there was ever a time for change or a sign for change, I think it was that game. You do wonder if it had been, you know, a narrower uh, result in that last game, whether they actually would have instigated so much change. Where is your thinking go on this one, Johnny? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'll go through a few things here, but the genesis of this Geelong team obviously comes from the years before it as well. Uh, and I think, yeah, it just comes from Stephen Wells' great work as a recruiting manager. Um, he's probably one of the best around, and I'll just go through very quickly some of the mm-hmm. picks they've had in the last five or six years. But uh, 2016, they picked up Tom Stewart at pick 40, Jack Henry and Zach Guthrie as rookies. Uh, in 17, they got Tim Kelly and Brian Myers at 24 and 57, respectively. Uh, in 2018, Tom Atkins as a rookie. 2019, brought Sam DeConning at pick 19, Brad Close as a rookie in that draft. 2020, Max Holmes at pick 20. And then there's the recycled guys along the journey, like Tui, Smith, uh, Gary Rowan, Jeremy Cameron, obviously before that, Dangerfield, and uh, and this year, Tyson Stengel, who thrived in this environment and kicked over 50 goals. So they do start off with a premier list to begin with, regardless of how they ended it last year. But... um, the next thing that came was the adjustment to the game plan. Yeah. And Melbourne really did blow the competition away last year with the ability to suffocate teams and, you know, their high pressure and their intercepting brilliance. They, they just wouldn't let opposition score. They were, they were choking them out, really. And a team like Geelong with their controlled and slow build-up really played into their hands. And I think Chris Scott finally identified this and he just signed a new contract as well. Maybe... Maybe that was part of it, I'm not sure, but uh, he knew that there was time for a change. Moving it forward quick, having an appetite for risk and playing on, attacking through the corridor uh, a lot more. It wasn't an instant hit. I think 
for the first maybe month this year, it was up and down a bit, but uh, eventually they got it dialed in and they were all in sync and there was no turning back after that. They were, yeah, the best in it by a fair way. So, yeah, it's kind of what came before it, but also the fact that they really had to change. Yeah, they were forced, finally forced into one too many corners, I guess, with the way they were playing. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting the way they've rejigged things, being more willing to speed it up. But the way they do it, they've all they've got such great coverage behind the ball. It almost yeah is like inviting the team to actually take more risks going through there and actually, you know, take uh, you know some more aggressive ball movement than maybe some teams would and even when they're doing that very rarely are they actually getting exposed going back the other way so it is a great style the way they've got it set up with uh, the the willingness to take some risks and even when they're doing that it's sort of what I would call sort of a controlled risk taking in yeah. not necessarily going all uh, all in necessarily to actually make it happen but uh, yeah just well with the way they're structuring up at the back line it seems to be covering very well. And I think this is a trap that Melbourne has fallen into this year. They haven't necessarily found that right balance between defence and attack. I think they've dialed the defence up too high. And uh, you, they, it's, the proof was in the pudding, as well as not being able to run out games. They couldn't really compete against teams like Collingwood, Sydney and Geelong, who had that combination of uh, solid defence, but also a willingness to actually attack and really push the game through. Do you see what I'm talking about sort of there? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's a lot of credit to Geelong because they did sort of finally tune it and they got the balancing act perfect. I also see the controlled risk side of it. They still have some elements of that control when they need it. They don't always go through the corridor. If it's if it's a risky kick, they, they're very careful and they, and they protect their back line a lot with the way they sort of, I guess, exit on the boundary sides. But, um, yeah, yeah, they were really, really, like, I don't know, it's, it's always, you've seen a lot of coaches fail at this as well in the past, where things get sort of overcorrected, they go too far one way, but I don't know, Geelong just seemed to really balance it perfectly, and I do agree with the point about Melbourne there, it shows you just how hard of a balancing act it can be sometimes. Really impressive the way that Geelong's gone about it this year. One other thing I did notice when the Geelong players were under a bit of pressure or forced into doing something a little bit more quickly than they might have wanted to, they were very willing to just chuck it on the boot, get it long, contest down the line. So I guess that's the other side of it, along with sort of the running and link up and being willing to go a bit quicker when... uh, you know, when that was actually on, they were equally as willing to just throw it on the boot and uh, trust the guys up the field to actually make a contest and scrap for it. Yep. So uh, I, I don't think that was really necessarily in their repertoire as much in the last few years. So it was interesting to see them use that sort of style as well. Yeah, they backed their one-on-one ability in a lot more this year. So just going back to some of that stuff you're talking about with the drafting, which is really interesting... They've essentially rejigged this list through, you know, high teens, low twenties, and rookie picks, and they've yeah. they've got some really good players out of that, obviously, uh, and you know the the fact that everyone seems to want to go play in Geelong obviously helps as well. But they've done a remarkable job of rebuilding. Well, it's not really rebuilding, retooling, while yeah, retooling. still basically staying in the top four and the top eight. 
yeah, it's just a crazy achievement. But uh, it also shows you that they back their winning culture and that it's almost uh, uh, where some teams might want to go back down to the you know the bottom and and rebuild that way. That they don't want to waste a season. They they just want to stay competitive all the time, and that's their culture and. It's a winning culture, so yeah, I think it's it's a massive achievement. It does help having one of the best recruiting managers out there, but uh, yeah, to find these guys who are just willing to come in and play a role, it's uh, yeah, it's a good thing to have. Not not every club has it. Is the rebuild going out of fashion? I almost feel like this sort of new age rebuild where you keep a few more of your experienced guys and build around that is almost becoming the more fashionable thing to do in the last few years. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that this this is going to be what other teams will will do now. They'll they won't move guys on as quickly, and they won't. Yeah, we'll see younger players get developed a lot better now, maybe because they don't get thrown to the wolves as much early on. I think you might see some experienced guys, you know, transitioning, you know, a bit slower out now, and those number one picks, and they're just getting the time they need to develop in the VFL and things like that. So, yeah, I think this could be a trend. I think it. it it's, and that's a good thing. I think we might see a few more mature age guys come in. Yeah, I think it's kind of following a trend in world sport a little bit more broadly where guys are actually playing professional sport to a later age now. So uh, maybe football's starting to catch up a bit. I still think football is probably a game where the age will catch up with you more quickly than some other sports. But yeah, uh, yeah I do think we've been a little bit too quick to write a lot of players off once they hit 30. Oh, for sure, and um, I think I heard that this isn't just the oldest team to play in a grand final. This is the oldest side of all time <laughs> that, wow. that lined up in that grand final. Yeah, it's, uh, the average age is, uh, I can't remember what it is exactly, but I think they had 10 players over 30 years old. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it just goes to show you it can be done. Yeah, it's amazing what they're able to do. It makes you wonder, you know, what next year looks like, and obviously it's a long way away, but... How how do they try and recreate this? Like it doesn't really seem like many of them are going to retire, but yeah, I guess one thing that Melbourne has proved this year, and I guess many other teams over the journey, is trying to actually back up a premiership is an incredibly difficult thing to yep. do. Not least of which for you know you might get different injuries, the competition learns more about what you're trying to do, different challenges, but it just seems like an incredibly hard thing in today's competition to actually go back-to-back. I, I know Hawthorne did their three-peat, but I think it's only getting harder to win these back-to-back premierships. I think it's definitely getting harder, especially with uh, the amount of training these guys do and the, the shortened pre-season you get when you play in the grand final. Um, yeah, it's not getting any easier, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, we'll quickly move into, uh, I guess, one topic that relates to what we've just talked about, but did Geelong miss a trick by persisting with that control first style for so long? It's really tricky because it seems like for most teams, it it almost takes like four or five years for them to actually, you know, train up a game style and, uh, you know, have enough confidence in it for it to work as well as it can. I guess yeah. something like Collingwood this year has kind of thrown a bit of a spanner in that thinking, but it is really tricky to actually say, okay, we're not doing this anymore. Let's try and do something else. Even if it's only like a tweak of what they're already doing. Yep. It seems to be a big 
thing to actually change what you're doing in today's AFL. And like, sure, we were calling for them to do something similar to this earlier, but uh, yeah, I, I guess they just had to run their own path with it and eventually they realized that it wasn't going to work. But it would have been interesting to see what did, would have happened if they made some of these changes earlier. I, I think it would have served them well. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think they could have tried this out maybe just a season or two earlier. I think maybe – I reckon after the 2020 grand final was the time to change it. I think mm. that they uh, had really gone into their, their shell with that and they, they were quite good at it. But it was a question we were asking at the time is that, you know, if they're going to play that style, they've got to be skillful all the time. Otherwise, you know – when they turn it over, it's just going to go back the other way pretty quickly. So I think, yeah, it would have been ideal if they did it a year earlier, but it's easy to say that from where we're sitting, I guess. They, <laughs> they did it finally and, and yeah. They got there in the end. Released That's the shackles. Yes. Now, Dan, this is probably one that people are waiting for. Where did it all go wrong for Sydney? Well, I guess we've touched on a few elements of this already through the recap, but... They just couldn't win the ball. They couldn't win contests. They weren't hard enough at it. The structures seemed to be failing them. They weren't taking it on enough when they did have the chance. They just looked pretty lifeless. And uh, I guess we talked a little bit about how maybe, you know, the grand final just has its all its own pressure. And when things start, you know, going a bit wrong for you, it can be really hard to actually find a foothold. And uh, it kind of just felt like Sydney slipped on the starting line and uh, every time they tried to get up, Geelong just pushed them back down. Yeah. 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 I was thinking the same thing. I mean, in some ways I'm still trying to figure it out really. I mean, we're conditioned to think that teams at this point of the year are pretty evenly matched and that if something is happening early on in the game like this, that there should be something that the team being beaten can do to level things up. You know, whether it's coaching moves or yeah, just midfielders getting the hands on the footy more I, you know, certainly feel like things can be done in these games to to shore it up. But the cruel and brutal reality of this one is that sometimes there's just nothing you can do about it, and it's almost like a I don't know a fencing fight or something where one fighter's attacking the other one and they're backing up and they end up losing or like a one of those yeah like similar to what you said in the sprint like. I was thinking like a, a Greco-Roman wrestling fight where the guy gets backed up until he's out of the <laughs> circle and it's over. Like, that's kind of how it, it happened. Like, I mean, the Swans did make some moves early on. They, they weren't sitting on their hands. They had, uh, you know, yeah. Kellen Mills is one guy they do throw back often to stop the bleeding, but the Cats' structure and effectiveness on turnover early kind of snuffed out any chance the Swans had of, of really sort of getting any of their attacks going. And the Sydney pride themselves as well on their composure with the footy, especially out of uh, when they're bringing it out of defence. But the Cats just robbed them of that. And they've been in their own game with turnover and high pressure. Uh, yeah, look, like I said early, you don't usually see the silky smooth skills early on in the grand final. But, you know, Sydney just, if they had possession, the pressure from the Cats was just, was off the charts. They, it was one of those things where if the cats' pressure was so good that it wasn't seen instantly early, like, but it would be like a Swan player would handball it to another Swan's shoelaces, and then he'd be affected by picking it up, and he'd try and get it onto another one, and it was 
his position was affected. And then like on the third or fourth, it was turned over. So that's the definition of team pressure. And I think when Errol Golden, you know, one of Sydney's better kicks, turned that ball over in the back pocket, you just felt it wasn't going to be their day. I know you see comebacks happen, but yeah, I just thought, I thought Geelong knocked him out and they set the tone. But uh, yeah, as we said, Buddy's missed. For me, it was Buddy's missed chance. If he came yeah. out and he nailed that one, maybe there was something, but no, nah, I just think Geelong brought more pressure at the end of the day. I do wonder if they're playing against maybe a slightly lesser team than Geelong, whether they would have actually been able to get something going in the second. Because I don't think they were actually playing too badly in the second. Once they got their mm. run going a little bit, maybe if they were playing against a team who just weren't quite as good at hitting back, they might have actually been able to find a foothold in the match and it might have been a little bit more competitive from there. Not saying they would have won, yeah. but... It, that was an interesting turning point that uh, sort of never happened just because Geelong were so good at responding. Yeah, they, they might have made more inroads. They might have, you know, cut that margin back a little bit more and just given themselves some kind of platform. But, yeah, yeah, we'll never know. I didn't, Geelong were just that good. And I saw this stat in the lead-up to the grand final, actually, and this is when they were, I guess, playing up the Sydney pressure. And Geelong's pressure's been good this year, but they it was actually about... Uh, when Geelong is pressured, I think it's when opposition pressure is less than 180, uh, Geelong win, uh, is it, they were undefeated. And yep. when the opposition pressure was more than 180, Geelong had five wins and four losses. So okay, the one so thing I haven't been able to find, to, have you been able to find what Sydney's team pressure was? Because I haven't been able to find it anywhere. No, who would have thought that would have been out there. But yeah, no, I haven't heard that anyone, unfortunately. Well, look, I just put this one down to Geelong brought more pressure at the end of the day. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, and they had to. They absolutely had to. So, like, the, in that second half, the energy seemed very low for the Swans. So do you think they were a bit fatigued from the previous week or it all just got a bit too much for them and they could see that really there wasn't any way back? So, like, did did Sydney have the energy to run out this game or were they yeah. – I don't know. It's like, it's a hard one to answer. But it's a hard one. They looked pretty listless. Uh, look. I think that that did catch up with them a little bit. It was a that was a grueling game, and it was only seven days prior. So, yeah, I think this was one of those situations where, look, I don't I don't think it excuses them for the start, but I I don't think they had the legs to go with them late in the game. Yeah, that was just yeah the way it turned out. Um, we will move on to the next one, Dan, and that is: Will Sydney recover from this smashing? in the next couple of years. Mm. Yeah, so it is tricky once you've been uh, handed a heavy grand final defeat. It's hard to overcome this. And, uh, you know, the Bulldogs last year yep. got beaten up a little bit and didn't make uh, much of a showing in 2022. And there's been a few other examples of that as well. So yep. it's pretty hard on the psychology, I think, you know, putting so much to get there on that last day and then just basically laying an egg you nothing goes right like how can that not be in the back of your mind for quite a while thinking you know even if it seems like we're doing absolutely everything right that could very well happen again like it must be a hard thing for players to overcome yeah i think it hurts i definitely think it hurts um whether or not it'll hurt sydney i don't know i'd be upbeat that they've you know, they'll take the lessons out of this one. But, yeah, as you said, it, it 
it can be really traumatizing when you get absolutely smashed in a grand final. I mean, I don't think that GWS team was the same, and uh, you know the Adelaide team, obviously. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the Bulldogs. Even Port Adelaide, I felt like had a hangover effect from that prelim last year. It's um, yeah, West Coast Stephen against Hawthorne. It, it took a while for them. They had a bad 2016. Well, I think they might have made the eight, but it was just. It, well, they weren't the same, I guess. It's it's a definitely a hurdle to overcome, and yeah, it's a young side. But I don't know. Did they make it a little bit early? Maybe, maybe. And I guess you know the result could have been chained in the last few seconds of that game against Collingwood, and maybe Collingwood would have put up a better show. We'll never know. But yeah, I think there's definitely an argument that sort of said they did make it before their time, but it is the third grand final they've lost in a row now. So obviously they lost uh, 2014, 2016 and 2022 now. So I guess there are some of these teams who are just good at getting to grand finals when they're not necessarily the best team. I think, well, they, they finished on top of the ladder in 2016. So, you know, that's probably one they would have expected to win. But uh, yeah, not a good recent record in grand finals. Oh, uh, yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do because uh, John Longmo was like visibly chatted in that press conference as well. And yeah, you just wonder how they rally around and get back after that. Well, we'll see how they go, I guess. Yeah. A lot changes from year to year. So, like, it's hard to say, you know, what impact one thing that we're talking about here will have. But. I guess the bigger conversation is just the fact that a lot needs to go right to get back to a grand final, and you hear the line yeah. trotted out in every post-match, uh, you know, uh, where yeah. on the stage they'll always say, you know, you'll be back here again, but sport just doesn't <laughs> work like that. So, you know, no one knows what's going to happen next. It's a long way back. Yeah, it's a long way back. And it's frustrating for the fans, and yeah, it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Next question, Dan. Is Geelong's model of only playing their midfielders about 70% of the time, is that the way forward for the best teams in the comp? I think it's definitely a point of difference. I guess it relies on, you know, your backs and to, well, your backs and your forwards playing more time on the ground or at least having a selection of players that really don't go off at all if you're going to be having that many rotations through the midfield. But yeah, it's hard to compete against if you're going up against a guy who's played, you know, 15 minutes less than you. I'm sure you're going to have more uh, ferocious energy at the ball through the course of games. So it will be interesting to see whether some teams look at this a bit more. But I guess it also relies on having, you know, that core group who you're like so sure that you can actually rely on because, you know, a team that has guys that, you know, they're really relying on to get the job done sort of over and above others. You'd be loath to keep them on the bench for 30% of the time. So I'm not sure if it's a model that would necessarily suit all clubs, but I can definitely see how it's given Geelong an advantage. What do you reckon? Yeah, when you look at the model, yeah, I guess in, in a way of... Um, it's probably the complete opposite to the Melbourne model, really. I mean, you've got the system approach with Melbourne versus the versatile and flexible Geelong that can throw the magnets around. Um, you've got the loading approach that Melbourne was successful with last year and not resting players, playing them through the pain barrier. 
uh, versus Geelong's rotations and resting guys throughout the season. You know, we've seen one method win it last year and now the other method's winning it. So I don't know if there's a golden method for it, but um, yeah, you're obviously going to have some teams trial something like this out, I reckon, because as we know, the AFL is a followed leader competition. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you think is going to be the uh, the flavour of the year next year? Probably this one, yeah? Yeah, I'm not convinced that all teams can do this, so it might just be one of those ones where, you know, a team who thinks they've got enough guys who can run through the midfield will actually adopt this. But, yeah, like you're saying, team like Melbourne, I can't really see them doing this, benching, you know, Oliver for 30% of the game. I don't think that's going to happen. So, yeah. No. <laughs> but no, uh, I don't think so. May- maybe, maybe it is going to give you know, teams that try this, the competitive advantage in that last quarter. So it would be interesting to see if more teams did try it. Yeah, yeah. And leading on to this question, um, what can the other teams take out of this model of Geelong's? I think it's that combination of defence and attack that we talked a little bit about. The, the fact that you can still really, you know, take the game on and try and score in a way that doesn't necessarily open you up too badly the other way. I feel like... Collingwood have also shown this is possible and probably Sydney as well. So, yeah, I think the trend has been that, you know, your defense has to be absolutely rock solid in the last few years. And, uh, you know, you sort of attack on the back of that, but in a way that doesn't expose your defense. So I think we're just slightly going the other way a little bit, still protecting your defense, but just opening it up that little bit more trying to give yourself more opportunities to score because we know how difficult it is to actually break through and score when both teams are really on it. Uh, so I think just creating more of those open up opportunities with uh, a bit more of that fast ball movement uh, is worth its weight in gold. So it's that risk-reward thing again, and I think it is worth the additional risk. And obviously you do need a good uh, defense to actually make this work, in a way that's not going to make you bleed too much, but yeah, I'd be, I'd be unhappy <laughs> if Melbourne didn't try and adopt a little bit of this and use a little bit more uh, attacking uh, ball movement patterns next year after the difficulties faced in 2022. And I know there was other mitigating factors, but uh, I don't think it, you're going to win the next couple of years without this increased willingness to attack. I think that's a, the new piece of the puzzle that you really need. What do you reckon? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And just to add to that, like the need to be flexible, I think. I mean, um, system-based footy is great and sticking with the plan, but I think we saw a lot this year that uh, sticking with the plan when you go up against coaches who are so good with in-game adjustments like your Chris Scotts and John Longmires, maybe you need to have a few tricks up your sleeve, a few swingmen and utilities because... You know, for instance, having someone like Mark Blitzarfs, you can tag a midfielder one minute and then go wing and go back. It's a, it's a big weapon and it's unpredictable. So maybe we'll see a little bit more versatility come into the game. And that's not saying that that's the right thing to do all the time. Eventually, it might sort of swing back to the system approach. But um, I think that that could be the way to go. And also to move the ball quickly and attack first, defend second, maybe. Yeah, I guess... It's almost a natural evolution now that most teams are getting, you know, pretty good at defending the ball 
when it's, you know, in a slower play type situation, they're good at defending the ground, good at, you know, saturating numbers back. Really, you need to evolve a system to actually try and deal with that. And the simplest thing is to try and move the ball a bit quicker. And uh, yeah. it's no secret that, you know, Collingwood and Geelong are probably the two that have really uh, made that their own this year. And the results sort of speak for themselves, I think. Especially in the finals, it was really obvious uh, the difference between the teams that were willing to take the game on a little bit more and those that weren't. Yeah, it is funny, the full revolution thing you mentioned, because... In a way, like I feel like this Geelong team w- was very similar to the Richmond 2017 team in a way that in 2016 they were very slow, very predictable build-up, and in 17 they just sort of changed it up. They had a lot more speed. They'd draw the uh, defenders into the ball carrier and draw them in with handball, things like that. Yeah, I just thought it was a lot of similarities there, and maybe, yeah, that is the way to go now. It's just, just keep it unpredictable. and Yeah, it's sort yeah, of just attacks. about keeping that keeping the ball in motion, right? Like we yeah. saw, particularly with Collingwood, when they were down in games or just when they wanted to score, they would throw the ball into part of the ground where they had no better opportunity to win it than a 50-50, but it was a dangerous part of the ground. So if they could win that contest, then it gave them a very good chance to score, trusting their back line enough that if they lost that contest, they're still probably going to be able to defend it. So it's almost like uh, you've got to you know, put yourself out there to actually try and get a few more of these scoring opportunities. Yeah, and if you've got the back line, that, they were very rarely burnt on, on turnover when they were up and running. So, yeah, exactly. Um, Dan, next question. Which team would have been the best matchup for Geelong on Grand Final Day? <laughs> well, if you're looking at the evidence, it's probably Collingwood. They ran them the closest in the final series, and uh, they were very hard to beat in the back half of the year. I think there might be something to this idea that, you know, playing against an interstate team in a grand final, you might just have that extra little bit of an edge. Whereas, you know, if you're playing against another Melbourne team, maybe they're going to be maybe less, a little bit less overawed by the occasion or just a little bit more used to playing on the MCG. I'm not sure what it is, but there's been quite a few uh, blowouts or semi-blowouts of a Victorian team uh, beating up on an interstate team recently. So, yeah, it would have been interesting to see what Collingwood could have done. What do you reckon? I'll be honest, going into the grand final, I thought Sydney was probably the best chance at beating Geelong. I mean... Yeah, you can say things in hindsight. It was definitely around the table at <laughs> at the half. It was definitely the easy sort of knee-jerk thing to say. It was, oh, Collingwood would have given them a better game and all that. But uh, And as we said, Sydney might have run their race in that game. It was a massive effort. But uh, you never know. You never know. I mean, they were exceptional in that game in the qualifying final. That was probably Geelong's grand final, really. And... Um, yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll just never know. We'll never know. But look, it could have been. It could have been. Next question: Is Joel Selwood now the greatest cat of all time, Dan? I'm not really too sure on this one. Obviously, he's got you know longevity on his side, been doing it so well for so long. The four premierships. I don't know a lot about sort of early Geelong uh, history, other than sort of Polly Farmer, obviously. Uh, Gary Ablett Senior has claims. Where was your thinking on this one, Donny? I was thinking 
I don't know if he is the absolute best cat of all time, but I think this is how I've rationalised it. I think he's on the Mount Rushmore of, of the Geelong Footy Club. So, um, <laughs> so that's obviously the top, well, not the top four, but, well, it is the top four, but in no particular order. So I've kind of come up with the Geelong Footy Club Mount Rushmore, and I think it is the, as follows. Uh, Graham Polly Farmer, Gary Ablett Sr., Gary Ablett Jr., Joel Selwood. Got two now, Gary Ablett's there. It's a good lineup. Yep. <laughs> I think I think that's fair. I know there's going to be some long-time fans that will be uh, canning me, so send your thoughts to footytime22 at gmail.com. All hate mail to there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think that, look, that there's probably, you know, it's a, this is the second oldest footy club in history, so really, like, it's, um, it's going to be very hard. There's probably a lot of players that were... You know, equally as good as Joel Selwood or even Meta, you know, it's the recency bias. Yeah, but- yeah. Well, he's, he's done everything in his power. And, like, for a guy who, you know, had a degenerative knee issues to start with, he's done more than probably anyone would have ever imagined. And, yeah, basically coming in in your first season, playing almost every game and uh, winning grand final, doesn't get any better than that. And now he's become a premiership captain through all these struggles. So it's a pretty amazing bookend. And, you know, the... Jury's still out on whether he'll retire or not. Maybe he'll, uh, you know, go on, which I kind of hope he does. And, you know, even if he's not playing every game, you know, he seems to still have it in him to contribute in a meaningful way. He's still on their best side. Yep. I don't think he could make a bad decision here. If he's decided to bow out, that's fine. But if he decided to go on another year, I think there's definitely a lot he can offer. Yeah, look, it's pretty obvious. I think he's definitely one of the best captains the game's seen in the last 20 years i've said it i think i said it a month or two ago but uh we all would have loved to have had him on our team (laughs) so yeah say what you want about you know questionable free kicks and stuff but uh yeah no he's a super player now dan did the swans have anyone in this game that could hold their head up high uh there were a few guys, few and far between, but I think, yeah, Warner really stood out. I think Papley tried pretty hard. They are probably the two that caught my eye the most, but yeah, yeah, I think just all over the ground, there weren't too many guys who halved their position uh, really at all, so who stood out to you? Yeah, look, not many, but uh, I thought, yeah, Chad Warner stood up well in a midfield that got smacked all day. I mean, he had 10 clearances. I know a few of those were in junk time, but yeah, he definitely went toe-to-toe. 22 pressure acts, close to the Lone Ranger. Luke Parker wasn't too bad, but he was definitely beaten. Uh, Robbie Fox, I thought, did a reasonable job on Jeremy Cameron. And uh, also, Ryan Clark continued his good run with form, keeping uh, Tom Stewart quiet. So, that's probably about it. But many, many passengers. Many passengers. A lot of poor performances. We're not going to list those, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, need more than that on grand final day. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so how will this era of Geelong be seen now that it has finally achieved a flag? Yeah, well, I guess in a lot of ways they've been not like a laughing stock. That's probably going a little bit too far. But, you know, they were the butt of many jokes over the last sort of five or so years, getting there so many times and just not getting it done Everyone, it reached the point where everyone just sort of expected them to fail in finals. And uh, I suppose, yeah, a lot of the Geelong supporters I knew sort of lost 
a lot of their hope, which was kind of weird for a team who was, you know, winning so many games in a season. But I guess just so many failures, they just, uh, yeah, they just weren't willing to believe in the team until they actually could see some evidence that it would be different. So I guess the whole thing now is that it's led to something. So I'm not sure if that completely erases all of it, but uh, it goes pretty close to it. So I think now, you know, the 2010s and the 2020s, we're only just starting that, but they'll both be seen as extremely successful eras and the fact that, you know, it took them so many times to get it done. I think it'll just be consigned to history, really. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that, you know, it has to be one of the most consistent teams of the last 10 years and an argument could be made for the team of the 21st century. But, you know, there's a few good teams there. But, yeah, I, I don't think you should take for granted the number of top four finishes and um, getting the, to the prelim a, a number of times. It's pretty good to – I know that I also know a lot of Geelong fans that had sort of – Felt that that I guess that choking mentality that uh, it wasn't going to happen, but I kind of feel like you should always be proud of a team that's thereabouts and consistently thereabouts. So it, it's a yeah, it's a great great club culture and yeah. Now I think the most consistent team of the last decade. I'd say yeah. It's a really hard balancing act between like you know wanting a team to be good but then not necessarily getting over the line. Like, I guess we're sort of conditioned to only thinking that success is winning premierships. And, you know, that's what everyone's playing for, so it kind of is. But there is something to be said for a team that can, you know, be giving themselves lots of chances. So, yeah, I'm not sure what the right words are for it. But, yeah, they've obviously got an extremely strong culture and – you still always prefer to see your team win than lose, no matter when the game is. So, you know, if they're giving themselves a chance, that's uh, half the battle, I suppose. Well, so I've got a question for you then. Um, say it's the end of last year. Forget this year existed, but it's the end of last year. What, what would you prefer? A team like Melbourne that was barely playing finals the 10 years before it and finally broke through and won the flag? Or a Geelong who... Since, yeah, after 2011, consistently makes finals but didn't end up winning it. But they consistently made finals. So what would you prefer? Yeah, for me, it still is all about winning premierships. So I will take the one premiership and miss the finals every other year for 20 or 30 years. Like, (laughs) obviously, the cumulative enjoyment that you're going to get from making the finals more often it's probably you know more but like you gotta you gotta win the premiership that's the aim of the game so that i don't i can sort of see where people are coming from when they talk about the fact that you got to enjoy the relative success but it's really i don't know it just doesn't really wash with me 100 percent. the whole thing is geared to winning the premiership and if you don't win the premiership then it all is just going to be forgotten, basically. That's what it comes down to. People will remember who win the premierships and not much else. Yeah. No, I actually totally agree with you. I would take the premiership route um, and be off the map <laughs> the other years. Uh, but I can see some people out there who would prefer to have a, a more consistent team to support and, you know, I guess, go to the games knowing that they'll probably make the finals. But, 
there's no guarantee of winning that flag. Uh, but yeah, I reckon I they'd be in the minority, so but I can see them. It's just such a hard thing to do. Like you just got to absolutely savor and strive for that. I think that's part of what makes it so meaningful when you actually do win a premiership. The fact that it is really difficult, and even if you're one of the better teams, you're probably only going to have a chance to do it like every five or ten years maximum. Yeah, like it's just really hard. And uh, if you're <laughs> not hard. if you're not striving to actually break through, then I don't know what's what's the point really. Yeah. Yeah, what are we doing it for exactly? <laughs> and how well placed are Geelong to try and defend their premiership in 2023? Talked a little bit about this. I'm really not sure. Like, obviously, everything's working with their game style. The guys seem like they're still able to keep doing what they're doing. But to to go from one year to the next things do change a fair bit and we don't know what's going to be going on with the personnel. We don't know what other teams will throw at them. We don't know how Geelong are going to respond to, you know, being the hunted now, all these things. It just, there's so many things that change from year to year. I think, um, yeah, I never really thought much about it, but the ability to actually win a back-to-back premiership, I think is significantly harder to than doing it, say twice in three years. So, I would be, I don't know who the team would be, but I would back, yeah, I don't know what the odds would be, but I would back the field over Geelong right now. Yeah, like everyone's waiting, well, everyone has been waiting for Geelong to fall off a cliff, and I do think that there's going to be a step back at some point. Uh, But look, I'd say that they're probably, it's probably fair to say they're going to have another top four appearance next year because that's just what they get. They always <laughs> exactly, get the yeah. top fours. And therefore, it should be another shot at it. But look, like you said, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of, you know, what ifs. How are they going to challenge, um, cope with being hunted? How are they going to... Um, I don't really see this as the making of a dynasty or a, a three-year premiership window. I, I think that... There will be, yeah, there will be, as I said, a step back to go forward, but that they could still be good again after an, another regeneration of the list. But I think there'll definitely be a shot, but there's a lot of good teams around, yeah. and it's impossible to see what some of those teams are going to be. Um, you know, is Sydney going to get back there? Yeah. Was the Bulldog season an aberration? Is Richmond okay? Uh, is Melbourne going to get back there? You know, was Carlton going to? Uh, go for a, a bolt, uh, Collingwood. You know, are they are they on the right track? It's going to be really interesting next year, and I think that the eight will change probably more than it has in recent years. I reckon. I don't know. Like you'd say, Geelong's as well placed as anyone, but you always think that about the reigning premier. Like, yeah, you have to be the best team to win the whole thing. Will Geelong be the best team next year? Very, very hard to say. Maybe, yeah. but maybe not. Exactly. When a team wins a premiership, you always say two things like, can they go back to back or can this be the start of a, you know, (laughs) we'll see how it goes. They could definitely do it. Like there's nothing absolutely in their way against it, but it's just, it's a very hard uh, road to, you know, go again and uh, get everything working. And, you know, looking back to those Hawthorne premiership years, 2013 to 2015, every single one of those years, they were actually quite different in a lot of ways, like whether they had Franklin or not, the type of game style they were using, the injuries they had to deal with, uh, 
whether their coach was actually available in terms of illness, yeah. all these sorts of things. Yeah. Like every time you win one, even if you're winning two or three in a row, the actual makeup of how it actually works is incredibly different. So there's just, as we've been talking about, so many variables and uh, very difficult to know whether the new set of variables is going to come up Geelong again. And we've also had that discussion before that the uh, grand final side never plays together again. So yeah, let's see what happens with that. <laughs> well, we thought Melbourne might uh, buck that trend, but they weren't able to get that side on the park again. So nope. see if Geelong can do it, eh? Yep, yep. We'll see how that goes, unless there might be a retirement. Yeah, well, that would, that would put Dave <laughs> to it pretty quickly. <laughs> exactly. But we'll see. we'll see how that goes. I've got one more joke question. <laughs> Dan, can everyone stop talking about the Darcy Moore push out, non-push out free kick? I feel like this has been talked about way too much, and <laughs> I'm sick of it. <laughs> People are still talking about it. I guess, I guess they are. <laughs> it's kind of ancient history now, right? The grand final's been run and won. Do you agree that it was probably more on the side? <laughs> we kind of had this chat already, but um, look, yeah, look, I just think it's impossible to to know how much force Papley put on Moore's back. I think he had, at very least had his hands placed on his back and from from a few times watching it, I'd also like to know, the people who are arguing with it, I'd like to know how many times they watched it. That's, <laughs> that's something I'd like yeah. to know because after you watch it a few times, it gets sort of less and less <laughs> damning. But it sort of looks like, A, he, he the force happens in the side or B, more loses balance and kind of trips up a bit. But there's no way yeah. of knowing. It's so easy to comment on this a million miles away when the umpire's right there. Like, the point is it's done now and just I've just never heard of a, a decision in a prelim get spoken about as much as this one. Well, I guess that's the Collingwood effect, isn't it? They are. Uh, yeah. They're classic at uh, this sort of thing. They, uh, yeah, can't get over it. And like, it is a hard thing to get over, but, you know, Oh, it is. It's uh, it's done, as you said. But is it the worst decision of all time, Dan? I, I well, don't so. I don't even think it was the wrong decision, so it can't yeah. be the worst decision of all time. Yeah, oh, look, I, I think it's dicey, but I think that I'm not disappointed that they called play on or whatever they called. <laughs> they called a free kick for Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't know. That's just uh, one of those things. Oh, actually, one more, Dan. <laughs> while we're on this topic, um. Did Joel Selwood steal Max Gorn's line on the dais? Yeah, he kind of did, but I feel like Gorn can't really, you know, completely claim that. Like, it's a pretty generic thing to say in terms of, you know, you've won the cup and it's coming home to its rightful home. So I think it's a pretty generic uh, phrase to try and uh, get a, uh, you know, any royalties on or anything like that. Yep, yep. I totally agree. That was kind of a trick question. Um, I feel like the only people that complained about that were Melbourne fans. <laughs> and what Melbourne fans need to understand is that other fans of other clubs and other players of other clubs did not watch that grand final on replay as much as we did <laughs> and see what happened on the dais after our grand final. It is a generic line. And again, I think people need to get over it. And e- even if... Even if Joel Selwood did purposely say the line that Gorn said, like, who cares? It's it, They won the premiership. They can do whatever they want. Exactly. That's exactly right. 
Um, so, yeah, look, we finished a few, a few little barbs there. <laughs> no harm intended at all. So, that is season 2022, come and gone. And the grand final was a bit of a fizzer, but, yeah, well. The first half it, was it, enjoyable, but, uh, yeah, even though it was a bit of a blowout, to see Geelong play so well was very enjoyable. So, uh, yeah. it was great to see them, you know, get their sort of crowning achievement and, yeah, one thing it did make me think of uh, on the way home was, uh, you know, I guess I'd kind of been feeling slightly hollow about missing out on uh, the Melbourne Grand Final experience and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I think actually watching this game made me appreciate the Melbourne win over the Bulldogs more, more just because, uh, you know, it was a game. It was a very yeah. hard-fought game. Yeah. There was we a lot it. of jeopardy. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you, we will remember so much about that game for so long. And yeah. probably the main reason is because the Bulldogs were actually very good. Uh, if it was a walk in the park, I don't think the Geelong supporters will remember as much about this game in five or ten years as we will about that 2021 grand final. And, uh, yeah, I guess I've grown more appreciative even though I wasn't able, able to be there in person. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, that just shows how hard they are to win, and you really <laughs> do appreciate it, don't you? For sure, for sure. You really do appreciate it. Yeah, I kind of felt it was funny because I kind of felt the same way in the 07 grand final. Like, it that was the biggest margin of all time. Mm. But I just remember after a while, just seeing the style of play that Geelong were playing that day, just the old fashioned, just, you know, through the middle. <laughs> Long and direct. It was just, it was so good to watch that kind of footy. And this was a similar thing. I thought Geelong played such an attractive style of footy. It was, it was enjoyable. Yeah. They made a belting uh, enjoyable. That's for sure. Yeah. They held yeah. up their end of the bargain. <laughs> they, they did. They did. Well, that's all we've got time for. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on, Dan, in the final series. It's, it's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah. It's been great fun. Thanks for taking. Uh, me on board for the finals and uh, interesting to have another one in the books. They're all different, obviously, and uh, a worthy winner in Geelong. Yep, absolutely. And uh, and everyone enjoy the off-season. I know Geelong fans will be very happy. Uh, we'll obviously get back to you with what we have in plan for season 2023. In the meantime, yeah, have a good, uh, well, have a good Melbourne Cup and Christmas and New Year's, I guess. Bye for now. Bye, guys.